Hey, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us as we lean into God's Word and continue in this series called Unlimited Love. And we're really looking at this picture over the past four weeks. So if you're new with us, I'm going to give you a little catch-up. We'll get right caught up into speed before we delve into God's Word. We're talking about God's, God having an unlimited amount of love. And that's a love that He chooses to share with us. And so that response to God's love is that we would receive it. That we would literally just not know about this and study about this, but that we would receive it into our lives. And as we receive it into our lives then, that we would give this love to God and to others. We talked about that. And so over the past three weeks, we've been talking about the love of God and, the, and then our response, a love for God. And then last week, we looked at a love for each other, a love that gives up ourselves, a love that builds up each other, and a love that repairs in er any area of brokenness. So today, today, buckle up, okay? Because we're going to be talking about that other area of love, an, an area that we don't really like to talk about, it's uncomfortable to talk about, and that therefore when Jesus addresses it, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to hear. But this is a game changer. It's a game changer for us, and it's a game changer for the world. It's actually this whole picture of loving our enemies. <coughs> loving our enemies. Now, I just got a quick question. Do you have an enemy? And some of us would go, absolutely, we'd give them their names. We would have the list of revenge that we have planned for them. And, and it's a really easy thing for us. Others of us whose major life mission is to get along, we don't have that, that target of a person who's our enemy. Uh, I remember talking to Greg Pruitt this weekend about his enemy. He goes, an enemy is anyone who I would never invite around my dinner table, but I talk, around, uh, talk about them around my dinner table, right? That's an easy thing to do. Others of us, it's more situational. In other words, we don't wake up going, I've got my enemy today, but when something happens, my goodness, we just kind of come unglued when someone cuts in front of us or crosses us in any way or steals a ball from us and tries to do a layup with just seconds left on the clock. <laughs> I had to tell you about it, right? Or others of us, it's a group of people or a stereotype of people. I've heard people say, well, I just don't like Christians. Christians are blah, blah, blah. And I mean, that's the stereotype. I've heard Christians go, well, I don't like that type of Christian, and I don't want to be that type, and that's the enemy of Christ of, uh, of, uh, cr as a Christian that they have. And it's a stereotype. Others of us have a political party that's our enemy, or a race, or, a, or, um, or an ideology, or a religious viewpoint, or a worldview. And, and if you just look at how the world is fueled today. It's fueled by enemies. It's fueled by one force against another force. And, and a lot of people get riled up and our, we get moved to vote or we get moved to join into something if I can show the enemy and point them out and let them have it and win it back or get revenge. And so when we go to God's word, he's going to give us a, a new vision for this. And here's really the vision that Jesus is going to give us. He, he's going to talk to us about the best of God's love shining into the worst of our lives. When life is not fair, when people are evil, 
when we're at our worst, can God's love go there? Can we actually love, does God have enough love for our enemies? I mean, not just him loving them, but us loving them. Can I just watch God do it? Or does he actually involve me to be a part of that? Well, as we look at the scriptures, I think that's the vision that Jesus is going to teach us. He's going to show and he's going to bring his love, the best of who he is and the best of what his love is, into the worst of our lives. So we're following this acronym and it's the acronym called REAP. That when we go to the scriptures, we read it, we examine or explore it, we apply it to our lives, and then we pray. We're just going to follow that grid as we move. And as we read, we're going to be looking at a key teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, open up there with me to Luke chapter 6. And again, Jesus is teaching this. This is one of his great teachings. It's aligned with Matthew chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is in northern Galilee. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of people around him listening to him to teach. He is giving a countercultural message. We'll unpack that a little bit more. But he's going to call us to do difficult things. These are the hard sayings of Jesus. And unlike what some commentators think about this, this is not Jesus speaking in hyperbole. This is not him pie in the sky. This is him saying, no, in your everyday connection with an enemy, whether, whether perceived or actual, whether a person or a situation, this is how I want you to respond. And love, my love, is meant for the worst for the worst of situations. And so before we do that, I know that this is just going to mess with all of us. I mean, this is now the fourth time I've preached this message this weekend, and I needed it every time. I just did it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm the person who I'm speaking to and preaching to today, and I know that you're along for the ride. So let's just pray. Let's just pray and ask that the Spirit would have freedom in our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for each person in this room. We're going to go to your word now. We're going to hear words that our world's not teaching us. Matter of fact, our world's giving us the opposite picture of it. And to be honest, we've kind of pursued that. And so it's, we really just open up the worst in our lives to you. The worst things that have happened to us. The worst of the things we have done. And we look to you. We need a new vision for this. Life is not fair. And things are evil around us. And we have acted according to that every once in a while. And so, Lord, we need, we need you to show us how your love can go there. We need to see you. We need to see ourselves. And we need to see our enemies the way you see them. And so, Lord, we ask you to guide us. May the word of God with the spirit of God and the people of God bring about transformation. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's read God's word now. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27 through 36. Jesus said this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do so to them. If you love those who love you, 
what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? For sinners do that. They lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. And therefore, as we look at what is Jesus saying to us, he's ultimately teaching us how. How should we love our enemies? And as we do this, you just got to remember that Jesus is asking us to do things that don't come as our first thought. And he's going to call us to a higher love with higher, higher ways and higher words and higher prayers. And so as we look at this, it's going to involve what we do and what we say and what we pray. So let's look at them as we go through this. Let's look and examine what he's saying to us. And he's going to teach us now to love our enemies. And the first thing that he's going to show us on how to do that is he's going to call us to higher ways. Higher ways than what is our natural and normal response. Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. That's not my first response to those who hate me or reject me or cut in front of me or steal my ball. Whatever it is, that's not my first response. But Jesus is teaching me a different way. See, a normal and natural love is a love like everyone else. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to love the way I love you. He says, those who love you and you love them back, what good is that to you? And what he's saying there, it's a kind of play on words because as all these people in Galilee came to listen to him, there's a group of people called the Pharisees. They were the Jewish religious leaders of the day and they always compared their lives to sinners, okay? So they would always say, well, at least I'm not like that or like that person or like that person. As long as they had those people they could point to, their lives look better. And Jesus is leveling the playing field. He's saying, look, if you do what everyone else does and you only love the people who are like you and love like you or do like you, then your love is really veneer. It's, it's like everyone else. It's not unique. It's not transformational. It's not the deep areas of reality. And what you'll find if you only love the people who are nice to you and live the way you want them to live, you will have few friends and you will have fewer amounts of people you will love. And Jesus is saying, no, he drops the floor out. He says, I need your love to be different. I need you to reach and love people who are different than you. And so he's going to call us to that. Look at that. He says, what benefit is that to you? He says that in, in three different ways, three different times. Even sinners do that. Even sinners do the same. Even sinners lend to sinners. And, and basically what he was saying is not so with you. How do we do this? How do we do this? You know, I remember in um, 1989. Do we have any people who lived in 1989 in this room? Okay, I understand some of you have not, so just got to remember. Um, but in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. 
And the Berlin Wall, just to bring you up on history, that separated East from West Germany, and it was a major turning point. Today, it was a, a defining moment for all of Germany. It reunified the East with the West. And it was a major time of celebration. And I remember when that wall came down, I had a friend who traveled there and actually brought back a piece of the wall. That's what he has in his office. Pretty cool. But, but the leader of East Germany at that time, the leader of East Germany at that time was a man named Eric Honecker. And Eric, that's him and his wife Margot, they do not look happy in that picture. And they aren't. They lost their rule. They lost their authority. They lost their platform. And they were the most hated people in Germany at the time. They were hated because they had followed a communist uh, philosophy that really persecuted and discriminated against Christians and anyone who was not of them. And uh, Margot was the minister of education, and she had loads of policies against Christians. You could not go to college, and she, they were discriminated against and you wouldn't be able to go to college. Okay, so think about if you were a family in East Germany and you identified yourself as a Christ follower, you would not go to college. Nothing gets U.S. parents more upset is when your kids can't go to college. And so they were deposed and deeply hated. The communists didn't like them, and Germany didn't like them. And so they were taken and made homeless out of their villa, even their fishing cabin <laughs> they were taken from. And so they had nothing. What do you do with this? This is the enemy. This is the enemy. Well, there was a man named Uwe Homer. And he was a director of a Christian help center north of Berlin. Now, I would say that Honecker made his life crazy. Made it when he ruled. And so the question was, what, is it, what are you going to do when your enemy is deposed and homeless? And everyone thought, he's getting what he deserves. And so one thing about uh, Uwe Homer, he d actually decided that the Honeckers could live with his family. And so he invited them into his home. There's the, at least the back of Uwe Homer. Uh, I'll show you another picture in just a second. But so the Honeckers lived with them for two months in the midst of this crazy time in the history of Germany. And their family was kind to them. They did good to their enemy. Now, this is personal because the Homers had 10 children. I think outside their door they had be fruitful and multiply, something like that. <laughs> but they had 10 children, and eight of them were beyond the college age. So it means eight of their children could not go to college because of the policies of these two people. So their own family had some resistance there. And then their church... Uwe was a pastor in a Lutheran church there. And his own church said, if you invite them in, we're not coming anymore. We're leaving the church. Can I just ask you something? If I invited someone in here that you didn't like, would you leave? I'm sorry, too convicting. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> so they did. And for those two months, they were kind. And eventually, the, the uh, Honeckers moved to Peru to escape a whole bunch of things. And they were eventually brought back and tried by a German court um, because about the 160 people he ordered killed who tried to cross from East Germany to West Germany as a war crime. And so um, he had liver cancer and ended up passing shortly thereafter. The doctors who diagnosed him didn't even tell him that diagnosis, because he was their enemy too. 
So it's interesting what this story is being told because of Uwe, Homer, who loved his enemy. And when people asked him, I mean, it became a major uh, uh, national press moment outside of Uwe's home of even the New York Times and the Washington Post, their reporters coming around there and asking why. Why are you doing this? Guess what he said? Because Jesus told me to love my enemies. There was a second reason, though. There was a statue of Jesus in his city that survived communism. And the statue of Jesus was Jesus like this, with his arms open. He said, I walk by that statue, and I believe that Jesus' call is for everyone to believe. And I can't walk by that passage and not live the life of Jesus, who's willing to love people who are not like me, who don't love me back. And so this is a story we hear today, and we go, yes, I want to be like that dude, because his love went beyond what many of us are willing to do right now. It involves higher ways. Now, I just want to mention to you the meaning of this, what this means and what it doesn't mean. I don't believe we should let people who are abusing us continue to abuse us. I don't believe if we have a legal system that we can pursue, when someone's injuring an innocent person, I don't think we should just stand back. I think we should get involved, and we should. But what is the motive moving us to do that? Is it revenge, or is it love? Jesus is calling us to love. And when we follow Christ, there's going to be enough people who are against us. They will discriminate against, reject, criticizes, criticize us. And in many places in the world today, they will persecute Christians. And they are doing that right now. And Jesus had followers who would literally die for him. And so what Jesus is saying here is he said there's the path to get revenge and there's the path to love with your enemies. I'm asking you to love so that my kingdom can flow through you. See, in that audience that Jesus spoke to, in, in his smaller group of disciples, there were at least two of disciples who came from a background that were Jewish zealots. And if you were a Jewish zealot, you wanted to overthrow the enemy called Rome. And they, they were proponents of taking up arms and literally fighting and crushing the Romans. And you will see after Jesus died and as he resurrected, you will see the two paths of the zealots and the followers of Jesus, the Christians. The zealots would ultimately get crushed by Rome. They were. In 70 AD, Rome came, they surrounded Jerusalem, and they just smashed it. They tore apart the temple, they threw over these huge stones. Today, archaeological uh, digs have shown us, and I've stood among those stones that the Roman army threw off the top of that temple mount, and they were done. They never rose to power again. And then there were the followers of Jesus. And the followers of Jesus literally took the gospel to the ends of the earth, because they didn't bear up physical arms, they had the power of God working through them. They could love their enemies, they could endure persecution and suffering and insults and all that kind of stuff because they just didn't take it. They didn't take it that, that this was anything except normal for people who are against God. And so they didn't seek to get even. They sought to love their enemy. And when we think about that, we're called to a higher way. It, it involves what we do. 
Secondly, it involves what we say. By this, we've got to use higher words than the words that are used for typical enemies. Look in verse 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Because the typical fashion of our day is to curse those who curse us. So it's easy to curse when someone or something offends you. When someone curses you, whether you fight against it and lash back or you kind of flee from it. Jesus is calling us to respond, not with cursing, but with blessing. This includes words spoken, words written, words texted, and words posted. We got it? It involves everything you say. There's this picture that when harsh words are put out there, and you're a follower of Christ, everyone is watching. Everyone is watching. What will you say? You know, and, and if, especially if they don't come from a faith perspective, what will this Christian say? This Christian who invited me to church, this Christian who said that, and I actually identified themselves as a Christian, what will they say when the boss curses them out? And some of us are really good at cursing them back. We're experts or artists at it. But it just amplifies the tension and the anger in the room. And it points to you. It doesn't point to anything higher than you. We're called to speak with higher words. Words of blessing and not cursing. And then it involves higher prayers. So what you do, what you say, and now how you pray. Here it says, pray for those who abuse you. I'm pretty familiar with prayers when it comes to enemies. Here's a typical one. Dear God, get them. Amen. <laughs> there's something, there's something in us that wants to corral the armies of heaven against our enemies and unleash them. Uh, and that is not what Jesus is saying. When did Jesus pray for his enemies? Do you remember when he prayed on the cross? What was his prayer? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Another person that we see praying for their enemies was Stephen. In our reading plan, we came across Stephen in the book of Acts, and he was praying as he was literally being martyred for his faith by stones outside of Jerusalem. What did he say? He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. My goodness, we're, we're radically changed by a prayer like that. So how can you pray for your enemy? Here's a few thoughts I wrote down this week as I was preparing. When I have an enemy, instead of God, get them, amen, a better prayer might be, Lord, I need more of your love and more of your grace to love them because I need extra grace required on them right now. Or Lord, they need more of your love and more of your grace. Would you give them more love? Lord, would you know, uh, you know what they're dealing with. I don't. You know why they cut in front of me a 21st in Wanamaker and I got the yellow light now. You know that. You know. God knows that story. And by the way, that may have just been you the week before. You may have cut in front of someone. Why? I'm late for this appointment or I just got this diagnosis and I'm, I'm in kind of a crisis mode. We've got to have grace for people who offend us. How about, Lord, please bring someone into their life? who might be able to share your love with them. And by the way, begin with me. Begin with me. 
And so Jesus is calling us, and what we do, what we say, how we pray, that's how we're to love our enemies. It involves all that. Because uh, ultimately, in verse 31, he says, and as you wish that others would do to you, so do so to them. This is known as the golden rule in a lot of places. This is just taken out of context, and we quote this verse without understanding the surrounding verses. But what Jesus is saying is, you were at your worst once, and you needed grace. That's the whole foundation of the gospel. The foundation of the gospel is that, not that we were always friends of God, skipping around, seeing rainbows with unicorns. No, it, we were enemies of God. As you read what Paul was, Paul was Saul, who was there when Timothy, excuse me, when Stephen was stoned and martyred for his faith. Paul is the beneficiary, as an enemy of Stephen, of that prayer, Lord, do not hold that sin against them. And guess what happened to him on the road to Damascus? Jesus appeared to him. He radically had a major conversion in his life. And he actually advanced the gospel to the end of the earth in his lifetime. One of the guys who has advanced the gospel further than many of us ever will was someone who at once tried to eradicate that mass message that he once became a preacher of. Because I think a prayer, Lord, don't hold that sin against them. See, there's a larger story that God is working than what you could get for getting even or what you could ever uh, receive inside or around you in friends in following Jesus. And ultimately, a higher love, the love of God, it begs, begs the question, it begs the question, why? Why? Why do you love someone who's so mean to you? Why are you nice to people who have done so much harm? Why would you not vent or post or talk down or justify yourself? Why do you pray for someone who hurt you so deeply? Why? So you can point to someone on high. That's why. That's why. Because your life can't be about getting even. Because getting even won't, won't be anything to do with Jesus. So as we look at this, as we look and we move now and continue this love for our enemies, let's apply it. And I just have two thoughts for you on why. Why are we to do that? And, and as, we, as we do good to those who mistreat us, and as we, as we say and what we say and how we pray for our enemies, what happens in us? I'm going to just give a picture of two things that will happen in you when you choose to love your enemies. The first one is this, so you'll get a higher reward from God. I'm, I'm not necessarily, although it would include, what's going to happen when you meet, meet Jesus face to face and he rewards you. But I would just say there's even a reward today in the here and now. And that is a liberation of life as it's always been. I've come from a Palestinian family and the Palestinian uh, Arabs and the Jews have fought ever since Abraham. And it's always been what I did to them, what they said about me, and how I'm praying to them, about them. And it has not been good. And it's just cycles and cycles of hurt and pain and brokenness and two people groups hating each other. And the war world is full of examples whether it's Pakistanis and Indians, whether it's um, 
the Chinese and the Japanese, whatever it is, these are generations of issues with people groups around us. In our own country, it has been white versus black. And folks, there is a new love that must dawn on our country from generations of hurt and generations of being enemies. And we liberate our lives from prejudice and bias, from cycles of anger and revenge, from deep-rooted bitterness and hatred, fueled by words and languages, language that just spirals out of control. We know the sound bites. We hear them all the time. We need a new order, a new world order of the love of God loving our enemies. In addition to that, I honestly believe as you love your enemies, you will hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. You loved your enemy. And now throughout eternity, you will be a trophy of a person, of a man, of a woman who chose to love their enemy in the worst of times, in the worst of times. We talked about Jesus praying for his enemy. We talked about Stephen praying for his enemies. We talked about Uwe, Uwe Homer, uh, about his enemies. What is your story. I was eight years old. My enemy was a kid named David. He was a bully, and I rode the same bus. He would push me over at the bus stop, and he wouldn't relent when I got on that bus. I remember the language that came out of David's mouth at eight and nine years old. He had to get it at home. He had to get it at home. But he taught me words I never thought I had ever heard before. And one day I decided, since my church had a uh, children's ministry, I wanted to invite David to church with me. And it was an interesting car ride with David and church. My mom just kind of got quiet driving after all the words that were spewing out of David's mouth. The gospel was presented to David, and David didn't respond. Life just kept going on, and so every year, David was in my life. I remember one time in sixth grade, I couldn't shake him. He looked at me and said, Hishma, you're a nobody, and you're a nothing, and you won't amount to anything in this life. And I thought, God, get him. <laughs> I really did. I struggled. There wasn't, wasn't a day with David where I did not struggle to love him the way Jesus loves me. So I went away to college, and then I went away to seminary. I got married. I pastored a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We had a few kids, and one day my mom gives me a call. She goes, hey, Joe, I was in church today, and a guy came up to me. His name was David. <laughs> and, and he came up and said, you're Mrs. Hishma, right? You used to take me to church. He came one time. <laughs> he came one time. So I just want to let you know that after college, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I turned and I trusted and I followed him. And there was a kid, your son, in grade school, who if I look back on anyone who before, before I got it, did anyone live this to me? Your son, Joey, that's what I was known at the time. There it is. Joey lived that for me. Now, I can't say I've done this with all my enemies, but this is one where God was working when I had enough. And that's what God is doing. He's always working. 
And if he can't work with enemies, he's going to work with fewer people. You're going to limit his love for just the people who are like you, who think like you, act like you. And folks, you're not the end. I'm not the end. It's God's glory moving through this world, which reaches a whole bunch of people. And if Saul, who once persecuted the church, now became its greatest preacher of the gospel, then the same thing can happen today. There's a higher reward. And then finally, there's a deeper experience of God. Look as we just continue, verses 35 and 36. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So there's something about it. I think if I said, guys, do you know that God is kind to those who are not kind to him, who are ungrateful and evil? Do you know that the kindness of God has led us to repentance? Do you know that God is merciful? I think all of us would go, yes, yes, we know that. How do you experience that? You love people who are ungrateful and evil. You love people who who think God owes them something or you owe them something, which is a, a natural response of revenge. You owe me. How do you experience that? When you, love your neighbor, when you love your enemy, you experience that firsthand. You see how God's love came into your life, and you, you become a conduit how God's love moves to them. Most people are not reading their Bibles on who God is. So that's going to require you, if you are a Christ follower, to live out the gospel, to live the goodness of God in your life, to live out what it's like to be kind and merciful to people who don't deserve it. Why? Because you didn't deserve it. You are once an enemy. Now you're part of the family. And so we're called to do this. And as you do that, you get to deep, have a deeper experience of God. So I just want to let you know that it's typical for me that when I teach a passage to underline a passage in my Bible or to highlight it. And as I looked this week and came to this passage in my Bible, I had not underlined Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. It's because the 12 years that I've had this Bible, I haven't preached this message. Folks, that might reflect on me. It might reflect that I've been more comfortable having an enemy than loving my enemy. And so as I've preached this now for the fourth time this weekend, I've needed to hear this message every time I've spoken it. And I think as I look at what Christians need experience on, it is loving an enemy. We need more of this because we don't hear it apart from this environment. This doesn't make sense to the rational mind. That's why it has to have the supernatural love of God pouring into our lives. And so what I want to do now, just as we finish here, is I want, as we've read it, and as we're asking God for us to have experience in it, I want to just trust your lives. I think about the number of people in this room right now and all the enemies that you might have, perceived or actual, or all the situations that are going to happen to you this week where an enemy will be right in your crosshairs to do something or say something or pray something that's about revenge and getting even. I want to just commit you to the Lord and so that Jesus would rule and reign in your hearts. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, right now, we pray for the person 
who's sinned against us, who's offended us, who's mistreated us. We pray for the people that we've despised, the stereotypes we scoff at, the, the person who's robbed us of something. And we confess that we've not loved. You call us to love. And we ask you to help us to love our enemies with a higher love, with higher ways, higher words, and higher prayers. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, deepen, deepen our love for you. Deepen our capacity to love people around us. We seek your reward, a life with you, loving others as you have loved us. I commit each person and every experience and circumstance they're going to have this week as an opportunity for the love of God to be unlimited in loving our enemies. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church.